Welcome into Running for the Roses. I'm Ryan Baff, Lucas, joined by Lucas Rohde. And Lucas, we are fresh off of week one in college football. We have anticipated it for months and months. We did our previews. We've talked all sorts of off-the-field stuff the last handful of months. Finally, we get to sit down and watch games. Uh, we are recording this on Monday afternoon. So uh, don't know about Clemson and Duke tonight, but it's been a great four days of college football. Uh, how are you, my friend? How was your weekend? Oh, it was amazing, man. I got back late on, I think it was Thursday night. Um, I was driving back up from Alabama. It's about a three-hour drive from Nashville. And immediately, I like beelined it. I got home at like 6.45 and just immediately got changed, all this stuff, and just immediately turned on uh, Utah, Florida, uh, Minnesota, Nebraska, had them on a split screen. Um, and it was just great just to be back. I love Labor Day weekend because it's literally four to five days straight of just college football. And it gives college football really kind of before the NFL starts, really a chance to kind of rule Labor Day weekend. And it's one of my favorite things because uh, it's still summer, but yet there's a, a ton of games from starting at 11 a.m. and ending at like 11 p.m. 11 p.m. midnight here central time. So it was awesome just to kind of be back into the flow um, and we had some surprises this weekend, which I'm, I'm excited to get about. How about you? How was your Labor Day weekend, Ryan? It was great. I mean, like you said, we got two pretty good Thursday games, two interesting, I think, storylines from the Thursday games. We'll talk about Florida a little bit and what happened in the Big Ten West with Matt Rule's debut at Nebraska. Friday was a little lighter, although we got a really good Louisville-Georgia Tech game, the, the Cardinal comeback uh, and beat Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Uh, Miami, Florida officially wins the battle of the Miamis. They stop Miami of Ohio. And then, like you said, Saturday. I mean, it starts at, at you know, noon Eastern time. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Colorado and TCU. And then it goes all the way up till the late night. Uh, Texas Tech, Wyoming was really fun. You had all the coaches pissed off at the new clock rules. You know, <laughs> Chip Kelly getting pissed. And then, and then it even spilled to Sunday, right? You know, I mean, yesterday we had a little appetizer with Northwestern Rutgers and Oregon State, San Jose State. And then uh, just a, a battle of heavyweights uh, last night between Florida State and LSU. We'll get into all of that. Lucas and I are going to hand out our weekly roses here first. We're going to do our, our kind of it's, – it's an annual pod at this point. It's overreactions from week one. Uh, we'll kind of break down the week one slate through the lens of uh, overreaction or not. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll preview uh, week two, which features a couple intriguing games, including Texas and Alabama and Nebraska and Colorado before making some picks uh, and getting out of here with a, a little week two preview. Uh, for those new to the podcast, we start off every show in season giving out weekly roses. This is a kind of an open-ended um, award that we can give to a team, to a coach, to a player, to a couple of players, you know, so on and so forth. So I will, um, I will start. And Lucas, like you know me, I've been very consistent all season I've been very high on Colorado uh, I really I really just appreciated what Dion did I thought he did a great job of exit of you know um, having a mass access to players I've just agreed I've always been consistent been super high on Colorado I knew they were going to succeed um, no obviously I'm, I'm actually kidding I'm here to eat crow because Colorado defeats TC 45-42 and my weekly rose goes to Travis Hunter uh, the hype was real. Uh, Travis Hunter played legitimately both ways. He played, I think, 120 snaps. Insane. He had a he it's had a he had a he had 11 catches for 119 yards on offense. He had 
he played really good defense on TCU, had an awesome interception at the goal line to prevent a TCU score. It was just awesome. I mean, the hype of Travis Hunter, I wasn't sure if he was going to play, you know, a couple snaps on offense, if they were going to use him like a gadget player. No, I mean, he was he was lined up almost every play, both sides of the ball. He did it on Labor Day weekend in Texas at 11 a.m. local time to kick off. It was near 100 degrees. Just insane. Uh, there are plenty of roses we could give out. I'm sure we'll talk about Colorado here throughout the pod. But mine goes to Travis Hunter, uh, number one player in the class of, of 2022, uh, completely and and utterly lived up to the hype uh, in week one. We're yeah, going. no, uh, it, it, yeah, it was. <laughs> I just remember the the halftime interview with Deion Sanders, and um, they had uh, uh, Molly McGrath had basically asked, uh, or not Molly McGrath, Jenny Taff had basically asked. Deion Sanders at halftime. Hey, he's already played 60 snaps. Are you going to limit him? And he goes, no, he is him. Like, <laughs> that is... Uh, and he, he proved to be. We were wondering, with not just him, but with, you know, even Shador Sanders, some of these guys that were coming from Jackson State that were relatively highly recruited coming out of high school, how would they adjust to not only jump into the FBS level, but straight into a Power 5 team and... It showed you why Travis Hunter was so widely uh, regarded by like every university in the country. It was insane watching that. And we'll talk about some of the other performances on Colorado, especially on the offensive side of the ball on there too. But yeah, that was really insanely fun to watch, that whole game was. But staying in the state of Texas, I am going with my Rose. And I'm giving mine to a team. And it's a team that has first year. Uh, head coach in uh, C.J. Kine, who was at Incarnate Word last year. They brought over 40-plus transfers. I think it's a good segue from Colorado. Colorado brought in the most. I think Texas State brought in the second or third most transfers of, of any school um, this past recruiting class. And I'm getting my rose to Texas State. Um, not only um, did they get a win for, for C.J. Kine in his first ever game as their head coach, uh, excuse me, it's, uh, it's G.J. Kine, um, but uh, their first ever game. But they did it on the road at Baylor, and I'm sure we'll talk about Baylor, but went on the road and beat Baylor relatively handily, 42-31. Uh, this was, a, uh, I think they were up at one point in the fourth quarter, 42-24. to um, They went right in there. Uh, we talked about the transfers, transfer QB, T.J. Finley, who has been at both LSU, was at Auburn last year. He was fantastic, 22-30 for 298 yards and three touchdowns. And they, they took it to Baylor, who um, it kind of got worse for them as the as the game went on. Blake Shapin, their starting quarterback, had to leave in the fourth quarter. Uh, looks like he has an MCL injury. I'm sure if he'll be back next week when they take on Utah. But Texas State getting their first ever win against a Power 5 opponent in their head coaching debut. Um, for them. So that's why I'm giving, giving Texas State um, my rose this week. Yeah, just a wild result there. I believe Baylor was a 27.5-point favorite. Mm-hmm. So Colorado was not the biggest favorite to win outright on Saturday. It was Texas State. And, boy, how far away do we feel like from that 2021 Big 12 championship with Baylor and Dave Aranda? In his second year, they win the conference Last year was a down year, and I was pretty high on Baylor this year. Like, I think I picked their over on the Big 12 win mm-hmm. total. I liked them a little bit more in that kind of Texas Tech-Kansas tier 
Um, disastrous start. You lose by 11. Like, it wasn't even like it was a fluky field goal no. or, you know, they had to hit a couple trick plays to beat you. You, like, you just got beat. And like mm-hmm. you said, Blake Shapin leaves with an injury. We'll see what the future holds there. They get Utah this week. You're looking at 0-2. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you are looking at 0-2 with a – and what we'll, uh, what we'll get to, not a banner weekend for the Big 12 no. Conference. A couple of that kind of those middle-class teams going down, including TCU, including Texas Tech, and including Baylor. All right, let's get to our, our week one overreactions. Um, Lucas, before we get to this year's overreactions, we did this last year. Uh, we did let's react to week one in 2022 and what were our overreactions. So I'm going to read you a couple of yours and a couple of mine. Uh, your first overreaction, should we pencil in Georgia and Alabama for the national championship game again? Uh, your, you also said North Carolina will have the best offense and the worst defense in the ACC, which deemed to be true. Uh, USC is the clear favorite in the Pac-12, which I think was true for most of the season. season yes. And probably your best week one overreaction last year, Iowa will have the worst offense in FBS. It was close. I think they were so, like third I mean, or fourth really, quarter, like so. legitimately probably probably worst in Power Five. My week one overreactions, Brian Kelly is not going to work out at LSU, which <laughs> – Seems a little bit more relevant now than now, it did at, yeah. the end of, at the end of last year. Uh, Penn State is nowhere near Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten East, which I think last year, like, sure. kind of true, kind of not. Yes. Lots of Michigan and Ohio State, but they did win 11 games and make the Rose Bowl. Uh, and Anthony Richardson will factor into the Heisman race all season. Again, didn't, didn't really factor into the Heisman race. Did go yeah. fourth overall in the draft, so, like, was good. Maybe that's a uh, kind of – reflects more poorly on Billy Napier and Florida last year. <laughs> All right, let's get to our week one overreactions this year. Um, I will go ahead and let you go first. And Lucas will say an overreaction, and we'll talk about a little bit about kind of the topic, about, you know, the, uh, the game or the coach or, you know, whatever, and then we'll kind of t- discuss if it's actually an overreaction or not. So go ahead, sir. So, yeah, so mine's actually sticking with what we were kind of just talking about with in regards to Myra's, and that is with Baylor. Uh, that was a team that we thought would have some form of an improvement. But uh, my thing is, is Dave Miranda really on the hot seat? You mentioned just this feels unfathomable just a couple of years ago. They win the Big 12. They go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Last year they have a disappointing year. And this is the year they start with. And I think the most jarring thing was, look, their defense regressed a lot. Last year, so much Dave Aranda went out. He brought in a new defensive coordinator to kind of switch things up. And all they did was got get torched by, as we mentioned, a Texas State team that was full of transfers. It wasn't like this was, you know, a, a senior-laden, uh, um, you know, Boise State or like a typical group of five power. This was, as you mentioned, like a team that they were, what, 28.5-point favorites against. And you gave up over 404 yards. Um T.J. Finley, like we mentioned, who was not particularly great at both LSU and Auburn, or didn't, well, didn't look impressive there, ends up gashing for almost 300 yards. And to me, I think it's always it's always an issue with a head coach if like their like specialty is not working. You know, if you hire an offensive guy and the offense isn't good, it doesn't look good on the head coach. If you're and the same thing if you're a defensive guy and your defense is late. This was a really really good defense two years ago. They were mid-tier, or they were kind of middle of the pack last season, and it doesn't look that much better. And as you mentioned, now you have Utah coming to town, who just dominated uh, dominated another P5 team in Florida. Still don't know what Cam Rising's uh, status is going to be for that game, but 
you start 0-2 looking at going before you even hit Big 12 play, I'm just worried if, if Dave Aranda might be on the hot seat. And I don't know if that's as big of an overreaction now. Yeah, Dave Aranda, you look at the coaching record. In 2020, in the COVID year, they went 2-7. 2021, they went 12-2 and two, and were mm-hmm. one of the surprises in the country. I'm guessing he got a contract extension after that year. <laughs> Last year, 6-7. Six 6-6 and seven. Six and six regular season, 4-5 and five in the conference. And this year... Starting off 0-1 with the loss of Texas State. Lucas mentioned you get Utah next week. You get Texas in two weeks at UCF, September 30th. Texas Tech, uh, October 7th before. Um, I mean, you, you still got at Kansas State, at TCU. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's an uphill battle now. If you assume they start uh, 0-2, they're about a 6.5-point dog against uh, Utah as of now. Um, it's an uphill battle, right, to win, what, uh, you know, six of your of your next ten games to try to get to a bowl game. So I don't know if he's on the hot seat. My, my, my guess is um, unless the bottom completely falls out, like a three and nine or a, a you know, four and eight kind of season, if he's able to get to five or six wins, um, I don't think Baylor makes a change. I, I mean, this is he does have a conference championship under his belt at Baylor and, and kind of turn that around pretty quickly. But you wonder, like, was that more on Matt Rule's players? Was that more mm-hmm. on kind of the personnel around him? Because like you said, like, the defensive side of the ball, which was his specialty, you can't give up 42 points yeah. to T.J. Finley and Texas State, right? You just can't do it. And I get that their head coach brought over kind of a new innovative offense and you weren't sure what you were going to get week one. But just not, not great. I mean, it's an in-state game. It's at home. I can only imagine the AD, like, you don't want to lose to a smaller in-state school mm-hmm. to open the season. It's yeah. embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it's an overreaction because I just, unless the bottom falls out, it's hard for me to see them firing Dave Aranda after four seasons, two years removed from a Big 12 championship. This isn't LSU. This isn't Texas. This isn't, you know, one of these bigger schools that just has no patience with anyone. Um, and you know, I, but it's not looking good. I mean, it's clearly not looking good. The big 12, you know, the middle class of the big 12, Texas tech loses on the road to Wyoming. They, they were kind of a hyped team early in the season. Um, TCU loses to Colorado. I'll, I'll touch on that game here next. Um, not looking great. Uh, not looking great for that middle class of the big 12. Oklahoma did look good. They put up like Mm -hmm. 70 points. I guess I was literally crying on the sideline. Uh, in that one. All right, my next overreaction is going to be, um, is Col- can Colorado make a bowl? Is Colorado a bowl team now? Mm-hmm. Um, this was a team, Lucas, you were a little bit more bullish on them than I, where I see the kind of smirk on your face. As I, have to, <laughs> I have to come now with my tail between my legs and talk about Colorado 45-42 over TCU. Um, Lucas, I knew almost from the first quarter that I was probably pretty wrong about Colorado in my evaluation of them they looked very at least competent Mm -hmm. even if they had lost to tcu like if it like let's say they lose 49 45 or you know whatever it was they looked a lot more competent and they looked better than i thought they were going to look um they didn't have a lot of penalties they played pretty clean football Shadur sanders my god he set the the school record for passing yards in a game in first first game one yeah first start at the fbs level he throws for over 500 yards uh, Dylan Edwards, the true freshman running back, had five catches and three touchdowns. <laughs> um, Travis Hunter, we talked about, 
And it was a great offensive performance. Defensively, I think you leave something to be desired, mm. but you you uh, you allowed fewer points and you scored, and that's all that matters. And I thought Colorado looked better along the lines of scrimmage than I thought they were going to look, and I thought they looked better coached than I thought they were going to look. So, listen, I saw the 20-and-a-half-point spread, and I and I even mentioned it, I think, on last week's pod. I go, man, TCU lost a lot. You 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 lose your Heisman finalist Max Duggan. You lose a first round draft pick at wide receiver Quentin Johnson. You lose your top two running backs. Uh, you lose the Jim Thorpe Award winner in the secondary. So I wasn't super confident in TCU minus twenty and a half. I wasn't I wasn't um, I wasn't gutsy enough to take Colorado straight up or with the points. I just didn't know right. And clearly, like, again, TCU could win six games this year. Like, who knows what TCU mm-hmm. looks like? That's why it's a bit of an overreaction. Colorado gets Nebraska this week, and then after Colorado State, I believe you have USC and Oregon. So we, we will find out, you know, very quickly is, is what tier is Colorado in. But certainly I think Saturday started off better than a lot of people thought it was going to, including myself. Yeah, and I think you have to give a lot of credit to Dion making what I thought was one of the better offensive coordinator hires when he was able to get Sean Lewis um, to leave his head coaching spot at Kent State to come over to be the offensive coordinator at Colorado. I've spoken a few times about uh, Sean Lewis and how impressive. It's not just because he's a Wisconsin alum, but that does help into my bias of him a little bit. But um, just every year at Kent State, that offense scores points. very similar offense to what they run at Tennessee, what he freeze runs at Auburn. It's almost just like a cheat code to score points, and especially when you have the athletes like they had on the field with Travis Hunter and Dylan Edwards. And it was just uh, an offensive clinic. And I think, I'm, I don't know if it's that big of an over, because if you can score that many points, even if your defense is not great, we've seen that you can probably still win at least six or seven games and get to that bowl type level because like you mentioned I I do worry defensively or kind of on the lines they didn't run the ball particularly effective um, but you don't really need to if you're throwing for 500 yards (laughs) through the air Um, but even I mean they got gashed I mean TCU had almost 270 yards on the ground was averaging over seven yards a carry so against your your better uh, top tier teams in the Pac-12 I think that will be an issue but I think for like some of your mid and lower tier teams that they're going to have on the schedule, especially here in the non-con, like uh, with Nebraska, uh, whose offense did not really show much uh, this week against Minnesota. You're playing Colorado State, who, you know, uh, Cam Ward and Wazoo just threw completely all over the yard against them. The fact that there's a good chance you're going to go 3-0, and you only have to win three games. Uh, I think you're going to be able to win in shootouts against some of those mid to lower tier teams in the Pac-12. So I don't know if it's that big of a a reaction. I think it was just how competent they looked on offense, um, I think, was just jarring to all of us. And um, I think, like you said, you have to give a lot of credit to both Dion and I think also for, for Sean Lewis for putting a really, really good game plan together against TCU. Yeah, I think the biggest question here real quick is going to be how healthy can they stay? I yeah. mean, I, I think depth is going to be an issue. I think the playmakers that they have, Travis Hunter, Shadur, Dylan Edwards, um, Horn, the, the the wide receiver, like they have athletes and they have shown that they can win shootouts. The question is going to be if injuries start mounting, especially along the lines of scrimmage. Or, I mean, I'm fascinated by is can Travis Hunter do this? Yeah, all year. All, like, all yes. season. My guess is, and I, I kind of read some of this similar reaction, is Dion is placing such an emphasis on these first two games 
right? If you, you, you beat TCU, if you can beat Nebraska on Fox with, you know, a highly rated, you know, um, a lot of people watching, um, that is his goal. And maybe, you know, tra- does Travis Hunter do this against Colorado State? Probably not. Does he do this mm-hmm. against Arizona State? Probably not. Does he do this against Arizona? Probably not. Some of the higher profile games, probably. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, your next, uh, your next overreaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going to stay, stay in the Pac-12. And kind of moving on that because that was such a that was a one a huge win for the Pac-12. The fact that one of your what we kind of consider maybe one of your lower tier teams beating uh, you know a team that uh, was playing for a national title last year. And my reaction is is the is the Pac-12 in its last year of existence the best conference in college football this I year? I had this ex- I had this exact overreaction. So please Perfect. please go on. Perfect. So. It was the first time I think I saw. It's the first time that every team won their opening game in league history since like 1932, and I think the thing. Look, we knew like obviously uh, Oregon knocking off Portland State by like 80 points, things like that. You know, USC crushing Nevada. We all knew that was probably going to happen, but you look at all the the tiers. Uh, I think teams in each tier. A team like Cal, who was only a six and a half point favorite at North Texas, scores fifty eight points. They had over three hundred and sixty rushing yards. Uh, Jaden Ott was was insane on Saturday. Had over one hundred and eighty yards um, on the ground. Washington absolutely kicking the crap out of Boise State. I picked Boise State to cover in that game. They were a two touchdown underdog. Uh, Washington basically picks up where they were last year um, and wins that one fifty six to nineteen. Wazoo. Um, absolutely drubbing. Um, Cam Ward had over like 500 passing yards against Colorado State. You look at, um, you know, uh, Oregon State. We talked about them maybe being a potential dark horse in the Pac-12. They go on the road at San Jose State, and that game is not really close. DJU looks really, really good. And even Stanford, uh, uh, after Hawaii almost beat Vandy last week, I think that line for Stanford, Hawaii went down from like ten and a half to like three and a half before kick, and even Stanford looked confident and won that game by uh, by multiple touchdowns. Um, and and obviously UCLA be a, a decent Coastal Carolina team over the weekend. And I just think like the the bull. I think the the lower tier teams look better though. I know ASU barely held on against uh, against Southern Utah, but they still won. Uh, regardless, and I think you couldn't have asked for a better week one if you're the Pac-12, and I think you have to legitimately have that discussion. Now we'll learn a bit, little bit more about some of these teams in week two because there are some uh, Power 5 matchups uh, versus some Pac-12 teams, but um, heck, of a, heck of a start for the Pac-12, like we said. Probably it's last year of existence, but I, I don't think it's an over... Um, but I think you could make a legit claim that it is right now the top-tier conference in college football. Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll go out and say it. It's not an overreaction. I had yeah. this exact same. I had this exact same one on on my sheet. I mean, this is a conference. You look at the results. Florida drubs Utah. Yeah. Twenty four to. You mean 11. Utah drubs Florida? Sorry, thank you. Utah <laughs> drubs Florida. Utah beat Florida uh, without eight starters and with its third string quarterback. Basically, yeah. Cam Rising doesn't play. In that, if Cam Rising plays in that game, they might win by three scores. Yeah. Um. And then, you know, you mentioned most of the results, but, like, we when we did our Pac-12 preview, we said there's clear tiers in the league. There's five mm-hmm. or six really good teams, right? USC, Utah, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, I think were the five that we kind of mentioned. Um, all those teams looked pretty good. I mean, you could make the case UCLA maybe looked the worst, only a 14-point win. But, like, 
Coastal Carolina is pretty good, right? They have, they still have, you know, Grayson McCall, who's one of the better G5 quarterbacks in the country. But yeah, I mean, Washington State, that was a trendy upset pick at mm-hmm. Colorado State. They put up 50 points. Cam Ward threw for over 450 yards. Cal, another trendy upset pick, only a six and a half point favorite at North Texas. They put up 58 points. Yes. Jay Nada, 188 rushing yards. Ben Finley threw for 280 yards. We talked about Colorado. Oregon puts up 81 against an FCS team. I mean, just the point totals of this week. USC put up 66. Washington put up 56. Oregon, 81. Colorado, 45. Cal, 58. Washington, 50. Oregon State, 42. And only one of those teams I mentioned played an FCS team, Mm -hmm. and that was Oregon. Stanford going on the road at Hawaii. Like people talked about how Stanford could be maybe the worst power five team in the country. All they do is beat Hawaii by 13 points. Like you mm-hmm. said, that point spread was like four and a half, three, you know, three and a half points. Really impressive. And if the bottom half of this league can be pretty good, or I guess can be can be somewhat competent. I remember like you had Colorado one and eleven, you had Stanford was like three and nine, ASU was three and nine. I mean, just it was re- it was a certainly a, a tiered system last year yeah. in the pack. Um, this is a, I mean, the quarterbacks, it's probably the best quarterback league in America. And if it's the best quarterback league in America, a good chance it's going to be the best league in America. Absolutely hilarious and poetic justice that this is happening as the league collapses. I mean, just like insane that this is the last year of the league and you could have, you have a legit playoff contender in USC. I mean, Caleb Williams, every game does a insane off-balance throw, falling out of bounds while drinking Gatorade, whatever it is, like with the other team having 14 guys on the field. Like it's just – it's just um, – it's it's a really fun time in the Pac-12. It's going to be – it's going to be a really fun year uh, in the conference. So kind of going off of that, I'm going to give you the opposite overreaction. Okay. Uh, this is going to be the worst SEC in about 10 years. Ooh. Um, the SEC had three teams play a ranked opponent in week one. They went 0-3. All three lost by double digits, and they lost by an average of 16 points. Florida goes on the road on Thursday against Utah. Billy Napier, year two. And the score wasn't embarrassing. They lost by 13. Salt Lake City is a fun – it's a great atmosphere. It's a hard place to win. But you looked really bad. I mean, you had a lot of procedural issues. The offense didn't look good. At one point, you had a you had two players with the same number on a punt return, and it gave Utah a first down, and Utah scored. Uh, Graham Mertz, I, Graham Mertz, I actually didn't think looked bad. The offensive line looked atrocious. They yes. couldn't run the football. Um, Utah only had like seventy or eighty yards in the second half. They just kind of played like keep away, basically. So that's how the weekend started. Then on Saturday, South Carolina plays North Carolina. College game day is there. It's on ESPN. It's it's a, a neutral site game. And South Carolina made the North Carolina defense look like the 85 Bears. Yes. North Carolina had 16 tackles for loss and nine sacks. <laughs> this was one of the worst defenses in the country last year, and you got bullied by North Carolina. I thought Drake May looked looked really good. Certainly looked like a top 10 pick with the caliber of throws he was making. But, boy, that South Carolina offense, they had a hard time running the ball. They couldn't protect Spencer Rattler. The skill guys don't look uh, – I mean, it's just it's, – it's hard. When you have nine sacks, it's just hard to look good on offense. Oh, but North yes. Carolina allowing 17 points was really impressive. And then last night, Florida State outscores LSU 31-7 to in the second half. LSU, again, they get bullied. 
Mm-hmm. Florida State was running like inside zone all second half, and I know Mason Smith wasn't playing, but man, LSU had no answer. They had no answer for Keon Coleman, who had three touchdowns, um, and Florida State just wrecks LSU in the second half, and LSU was projected to like. I picked them to win the West. Yeah, me like, too. This was a team that some people were picking to win the national championship. And listen, it's again, it's an overreaction, right? It's week one. But coming into this season, when we looked at the caliber of quarterbacks and we looked at the teams in the league, I just I didn't see a lot of teams that scared me. Yeah. Um, in this conference, right? Bryce Young was gone. Georgia's lost a ton over the last two years. But you know, I mean, Tennessee, I thought, looked pretty good in spurts against Virginia. But, you know, the SEC already doesn't challenge itself a ton out of conference. And two of the three games were neutral sites, North Carolina, South Carolina, and LSU, Florida State. But, man, oh, man, it was a tough week for the for the SEC. They got a big one with Alabama, Texas. I'm sure we'll talk about it soon. But yeah. rough week one for the SEC. It just means less. It just means <laughs> Like it takes you last night. It just means more, but if you lose, it just doesn't count. Um, yep, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, no, I, I agree. I, that stat line for North Carolina, because I was doing my notes, because North Carolina was one of my, my overreactions, too. We'll probably get to that one next. Nine sacks. I think I was like, what? Nine sacks? <laughs> 16 tackles for loss? Are we talking about the same North Carolina defense that like ranked like 115th in like scoring offense last year? It was like one of the worst rush te- teams. I mean, North- South Carolina averaged negative .1 yards a carry in that game. Like, just like, what are we talking about here? Like, even if they're improved, they're not. They're not that improved. But kudos to them for 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 playing that way. And we'll talk about North Carolina in a second. But. No, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, when we did our SEC preview, I said, even with some of the top teams, I was like, with Alabama, I'm like, I just feel like there's a lot of question marks on this team. And I know they blew out mid Middle Tennessee State. Not sure how much we can take away from that. Or like A&M blowing out, who they play, New Mexico or yep. something like that. Uh, we'll know a little bit more about them. Uh, we talked about their, their upcoming game against Miami. But no, I, I agree in it. It, it could be an overreaction because more than likely we're probably going to be talking about either Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, one of, LSU, probably one of those four five teams at the end of the year um, is competing for a playoff spot. Because we know you're a one or even a two-loss SEC team. We're probably – you're going to get hyped up to be uh, in the college football playoff. But even last night, like LSU – it was a tale of two halves. Like, LSU, that first game, I mean, what was their th- first three or four drives? They made it into Florida State territory. They were just atrocious in the red zone, um, getting stuff, not getting too – they were inside, I believe, the, the Florida State 10 and didn't come with any points um, to really pull pull away. And Florida State and LSU, for some reason, taking Harold Perkins and making him like an off-ball linebacker in the second half did not work out. They basically took him out of the game. But no, it wasn't a great showing, and especially it, it. This wasn't like you know, Kentucky playing you know Clemson or something like that. Like the teams were pretty well matched up in, in those three matchups. You had two kind of mid-tier S Ace or uh, with with North Carolina in the ACC and South Carolina in the SEC. You had two top-tier teams um, in LSU and Florida State, um, and it just is uh, yeah. It was not a banner week. Um, for them 
But uh, we'll see because they have a couple high-profile matchups here coming this week that I know we'll, we will preview. But, hey, it, you, don't have to, you don't have to tempt me into kind of crapping on the SEC whenever I get a chance or we get a chance to. So I'm going to take it, it for all is. it's worth this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It truly is one of, our, one of our favorite pastimes is crapping on the SEC. Probably a little more than we should. Because <laughs> I have, you know, still have the most traffics. Every year in the NFL draft, you you know, Georgia's won the last two national championships, right? LSU won before that. So, um, you know, certainly, like, we, we say this with a little bit of a grain of salt, but Lucas and I are not the biggest SEC homers. Uh, so when we get a chance to kind of, kind of uh, you know, put our feet up at, at the SEC, we're going to take advantage of it. So, right. But we probably should talk about North Carolina, and I'm guessing they're going to be your next overreaction. Yeah, my overreaction was just going off of this game. We had talked about kind of the variance that, that North Carolina can have. They could probably be what they were last year, 6-6, six 7-5, six, have a good offense, still play crappy defense. But if that defense improved, could they potentially, I don't know if I want to say yet, could they challenge Florida State or Clemson, but could they maybe put a fight into them? And that's my overreaction is off of that defensive performance, which we just said, nine sacks, 16 tackles for loss, my reaction is: Did their has their defense take us has taken a step forward finally, and should we start maybe talking about them a little bit more, as we do with Clemson and Florida State as a team that could potentially make another appearance in an in an ACC championship game? Yeah, I don't think that's an overreaction at all. Listen, North Carolina has been recruiting very well over the last yes. handful of years, including some impressive wins along the defensive line. Right, five stars, a couple four stars. And they definitely showed out against South Carolina. Interesting thing, I was looking at North Carolina's schedule. They don't play Florida State this year. Um, so they will play Clemson the second to last week of the season on November 18th. You go at Pittsburgh in, uh, on September 23rd. Other than that, I mean, you have App State this week, Minnesota next week. And here's how you start ACC play. At Pitt, Syracuse, Miami, Virginia, Georgia Tech. So I certainly think there's a – I – Still think Clemson and Florida State are a tier above. Now, granted, we haven't seen Clemson yet. We are recording this before Clemson plays Duke tonight. Who knows? Maybe Riley Leonard looks really good, carves up Clemson, and they beat the Tigers. But right now, the top of the ACC is, I think, pretty impressive. Um, uh, Florida State, I'm guessing, is going to move up into the top five. Clemson um, as well. My, uh, you, I think Miami looked very competent against mm-hmm. Miami of Ohio. We'll see how they fare this week against Texas A&M, but that was a good start to the season. Certainly it wasn't, you know, middle Tennessee of last year where they're giving up 45 points to a, a, um, a group of five team. The top of the ACC, um, I think, has a chance to be pretty good this year. And North Carolina, you know, when you have an elite quarterback, you give yourself a chance to win every game. And when you can yeah. couple that with a – a competent defense. I mean, think about our Big 12 preview. How many times do we say, well, if you can just get to the top 60 or 70 in defense, you give yourself a chance to win a lot of games. That's basically North Carolina, right? Yes. If, if, you can, if you can surrender fewer than 30 points a game or fewer than 25, 26 points a game, you're going to be in a lot of games. You're, like, you're, you're going to have a chance to win a lot of football games. Uh, schedule, not – I mean – App States might be tricky. Home Minnesota, Miami on uh, the 14th of October is kind of uh, the big one to circle there. That's at home. And then they go at Clemson and uh, at NC State to end the season. Um, all right, my next overreaction, 
one that you're you're definitely not going to think it's an overreaction. I already know your answer. Uh, Penn State is the biggest threat to Michigan in the uh, in the Big Ten East, and this is I think having a little bit more so to do with the offensive struggles of Ohio State. Uh, boy oh boy, twenty three to three win for Ohio State over Indiana. Kyle McCord throws for three hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, two hundred and thirty nine yards. Ohio State could not run the football. No. I mean, Chip Chip Traham, 57 yards. That was their their uh, their leading rusher. Travion Henderson, 12 carries, 47 yards. Um, Ohio State averaged fewer than uh, five yards a carry. Devin Brown, I mean, do you remember when, like, Ryan Day said that Devin Brown was going to get in for a couple series? He played, I think, one non-garbage time series. They didn't even, they didn't even throw the football on that series. It was a struggle. Um, it was a struggle. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and the other receivers were largely kind of irrelevant in this game. Nobody got over 100 receiving yards for Ohio State. Um, listen, it's an overreaction for a reason. But Penn State, I thought, looked better. I think Drew Aller looked a little better against West Virginia. Now, that might be the same level of competition. Um, Penn State puts up 38 against West Virginia at home. Um but I think if you're Ohio State, I mean, you got a couple of weeks to figure stuff out. I think you get Youngstown this week. Mm-hmm. And then I think Notre Dame is the end of September. So yes. no, Notre Dame looks very good. Uh, they blew out Tennessee State this uh, last week. They go at NC State this week. That'll be a fascinating game. But not a lot of time for Kyle McCord to get his feet ready. And if you don't have that, um, the Big Ten East, as we've talked about before, maybe the best division in America um, good luck. So I, I, I think Penn State might be the biggest challenge to Michigan. Who, you know, Michigan didn't look great yeah. in in there. They they uh, won thirty to three against East Carolina. Um, you know, maybe sleepwalking a little bit, but yeah, not super impressive week one for for uh, Ohio State. No, I kept. I didn't watch a ton of that that Ohio State Indiana game because I kind of felt felt like that was kind of how it was going to go when Ohio State got off to a slow start, but. You could tell Indiana had, I think they had just a little over 200 yards of offense. They were not going to challenge them uh, defensively. But, no, I agree. And, look, it could be an overreaction. I remember when C.J. Stroud had a little bit of some struggles getting his feet wet those first few weeks. I remember when they lost to Oregon. There was already calls, hey, maybe they should go to somebody younger or something like that. I do think they'll figure it out. And like you said, the, the schedule kind of helps with they have Youngstown State. Then they have, I can't remember who the other uh, G5 opponent is before they play um, uh, before they play Notre Dame. So they do have a couple yeah. games to kind of figure things out. But no, like you said, uh, we've I've been high on Penn State basically since the spring. They were my pick to win the Big Ten. And I think you saw why. Drew Allard just kind of brings a different gear to that offense. And you surround him with, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith. Looks like he's going to be the next really good Penn State wide receiver. They obviously are loaded in the backfield. And then that defense just kind of ate against West Virginia. I mean, there there really isn't holes. Now, potentially depth could play an issue. They don't play each other, I don't think, till the end of October. But... Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, to me, that's not a big overreaction just because, like I said, I picked Penn State to win the Big Ten this year. But, yeah, Ohio State didn't look great. And like you said, Michigan, I mean, Michigan was averaging less than four yards a carry um, against East Carolina. So, like, but then again, Michigan doesn't have a challenging game until, like, November. So I'm not going to be worried about them. But I, I don't think right. that's an overreaction 
really at all because I, I do think Penn State on prime time they looked really really good uh do you have any more I have one more that I have I, uh, I am ready to fire I, I have one more and because it's sticking in the big ten um we already got to wrap up that Brian Ferentz is not going to hit his 25 points um, Yikes, man. points total Utah State plus 25 and a half just never a doubt <laughs> <laughs> the fact that that was the thing and they had to hit 20. I mean, they just barely missed it. They got 24 points. Kane McNamara does look way more competent than Spencer Petrus. But, I mean, the running game for Iowa, man. I, that offensive line was supposed to be improved. They were bringing back Keegan Johnson, or Caleb Johnson, who a lot of people at Iowa really, really like. think he's one of the more talented backs that they've had in some time. And he averaged only 3.3 yards to carry. Overall, they had 36 carries for 88 yards. And that worries me. Like, you're Iowa. You can't run the ball, man, especially against a Utah State front. Maybe Utah State has a good defense, but you should be able to to be a little bit more efficient there. Um, So that's that's my one small overreaction. They play Iowa State this week. I'll talk about that game in my picks uh, a little bit coming up here. But, uh, Will you? Because uh, I think I also might talk about it in my picks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Iowa, uh, yeah, 24-14, to 14, not maybe the most impressive performance. But, look, Iowa has also not looked great. I remember one year they barely beat, like, Northern Iowa by, like, three points. They sometimes struggle in those early uh, early season games. But, uh He's already he's already lagging. He needs to average twenty five points per game to save his job. He's already a point behind. So yeah, that's my overreaction on that. Listen, one. Lucas, you you really can't blame Brian Ferentz hundred percent. The Iowa defense was held scoreless in in this game, which is I think really frustrating for Iowa fans to really to not get that support from your defense. Brian Ferentz must be pretty pissed off. At <laughs> uh, Lucas mentioned it at Iowa State this week on Fox uh, three thirty Eastern, and then home Western Michigan. That's the game where you got to put up like forty. You got to put up your yes. Iowa. Because then you get you go at Penn State uh, in uh, week four, Michigan State at home, uh, Purdue at home at Wisconsin. I mean, as we get into the meat of the Big 12, Minnesota's defense looked pretty good. Um, listen, maybe you can put up 50 against Northwestern, but like it's this was a game. Uh, the spread was 25 and a half for a reason. Mm-hmm. This was a game that like Iowa needed to score 42 points, 38 points. You did not need to need to squeak out 24 points and, and not be able to run on Utah State. Well, especially when you scored a touchdown with less than a minute into the game. Like, they scored, like, a 50-yard touchdown pass from uh, uh, from Cade McNamara, like, within the first minute, and then you only score 17 points the rest of the way. Just maybe not the showing that I think a lot of Iowa fans um, were expecting. In week one, Uh, my last overreaction is kind of more so big picture in college football. Uh, The new clock rule did nothing to impact the length of games. Um, All we have seen now is more TV timeouts, and it's 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 still very frustrating. Even watching last night, I think on Saturday it's a little bit more manageable because you have you know four or five games on that you can flip around. The multi view on YouTube TV is awesome, but. There are far too many instances of like, you know, touchdown, extra point, commercial, kickoff, commercial, or like there's seven seconds left in the quarter and a player gets injured, three minute commercial, then end of quarter commercial. Like it's it's such a tough product to watch, 
And I think the games are a little shorter, although most of the data that was coming out earlier on the weekend. It was like three minutes much. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's very inconsequential. Um, I overall still like the clock running, but it's very apparent now that it's just, it's still going to be a, it's going to be tough to watch these games. I mean, I think Texas Tech, Wyoming went like four, over four hours. Yeah. Granted, it went to overtime, but like still. So Wisconsin's uh, game against Buffalo took three hours and 40 friggin' minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, I thought, it, I mean, NFL games, it's wild because they, it's a crisp three hours. Yes. Like they move the games on so it fits in that window. In college football, just, it could not be, it could not be more polar opposite where the games just drag on and there are, there are more reviews, there are more penalties, there's more stoppages of play. It's it's kind of frustrating. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but yeah, that's kind of where I settled on after week one. I was like, yeah, this isn't going to make as big of an impact as I thought it would. No, and because we heard from when they initially put these rules in, the whole thing was like, well, we're adding in 2024. We're going to be adding more games because of the expanded playoff. We want to limit the contact. And look, I get that, and I know they wanted to make these games move faster because, like you said, NFL games move at a much more faster pace than college football does. And obviously people love the NFL product. I wasn't, the only reason I wasn't for it was like, I loved the the differential. Like I love the, uh, the clock stops after a first down, just because I think that's unique in college football. It allows teams to come back. Cause my biggest fear was like, it's not going to change the length of games. Yeah. You're, you're the thing. The only thing that's going to change, you're going to have less actual action on the field. That's going to go by faster but TV execs are still going to want those time slots filled up. They're just going to find more ways to put in more commercials. And that was my fear for it was we're still going to be glued to our TV for three and a half hours, but we're going to have actual less game time to actually watch. And it's just going to be more commercials. I'll watch three and a half, four hours if it's just a game. But like you said, when you have constant stoppages and it's even worse if you're at the freaking game, man. I mean, I wasn't at the game this week. But when you're there and they have to do TV timeouts and stuff, when they're, they're, you can't just change to a different channel in between. You just have to sit there in your seat and everything like that. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be something we're going to hear about all year. I didn't really notice a huge difference in the, the, the playtime because um, obviously the clock still stops under two minutes in each half. But... Yeah, it, it was just kind of annoying because it was like we were told these games were going to go faster. And it's like, nope, they're just going to fill up uh, more dead space with uh, with more commercials. So, uh, One more quick overreaction from me. Um, Wisconsin football hasn't changed a damn thing. <laughs> the heck is going on here? Right? We hire Phil Longo. We're going to spread the ball out. I, I watched a lot of the first half, and then I, I, I had to leave. I look at the box score, and I see Wisconsin. 314 rushing yards, two running backs over 140 yards, and Tanner Mordecai under 200 yards. And I go, we were lied to. There's no difference in Wisconsin. We were lied to. Anyway, what were your takeaways from Wisconsin-Buffalo? So, so it was a little closer than I thought. It was only a four-point game at halftime. Uh, yeah. You can clearly tell on both sides of the ball, Wisconsin is still a work in progress. Though I will say, if um, uh, in the in the first half, one of our wide receivers, Skyler Bell, dropped like a for sure sixty yard touchdown pass, um, and if that would have hit and like the stats stayed the same, Mordecai would have broken the the uh, passing record for a debut for a Badger quarterback. If that if he hadn't have dropped that touchdown. 
So he would have thrown for like 260-some yards. But <laughs> no, it, what's the saying? It's like the more things change, the more things stay the same. The more they, the more they I, stay the same. I mean, they, they, their running backs look great. I mean, Braylon Allen, Ches Malusi, I think if they stay healthy, are going to be up there as one of the best running back tandems in the country. The offensive line blocked holes all over. And, uh, yeah, they just relied. I think Mordecai threw it. I mean, he had, like, 21 pass attempts, I think, in the first half, which um, is a little crazy. But uh, it was still fun to watch. I mean, it was it was just weird seeing full, no huddle, shotgun, every play, no fullbacks, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, still, uh, still a work in progress, I think, the passing game is. Um, and I think the defense still is a little bit of a work in progress because they're moving – They've kind of changed that side of the ball a little bit too. So uh, I'm just happy they won, and they have they still won by three scores, and they still have a bunch of stuff to work on. This week, I am really, really intrigued to see how they play against Wazoo, especially against with what Cam Ward did to Colorado State uh, this past week. Yeah, we'll get to the week two slate here in a second. Just yeah. real quick on Arizona State, we touched on Wisconsin. Um, I thought Arizona State, Jane Rashad had a couple moments. Like, there were a couple throws he made that was like, damn, like, that's why that's he was why, rated yeah. as high as he was. Like, that's exciting. Inconsistent effort. The final score, I, listen, I, I don't know if you caught the whole story. There was a two-and-a-half-hour weather delay Ugh. out of halftime. Like, basically, once halftime hit, a giant, like, dust storm and, like, monsoon came through Tempe. And they had, like, literally, like, they had lightning, and they had a two-and-a-half-hour delay. The game didn't end until, like, 1 a.m., local time mm. so i don't take a lot of what happened in the fourth quarter i mean um asu had a, a punt block return for a touchdown they they kind of let up a long pass play for a touchdown uh, certainly when you're favored by 30 and you beat an fcs team by three i don't it's not great um yeah. but i thought there were some things to build off of for kenny dillingham in his debut and we'll see this week they house oh they host oklahoma state they're like a three and a half point underdog uh, we'll see what happens there. So, all right, let's get to the um, let's get to the week two slate. Uh, week two, I think, like week one, you have a handful of games that are are intriguing. Um, I'm just going to go through kind of the major games here real quick, and then we'll kind of touch on the big ones. Um, Friday uh, on ESPN two seven thirty Eastern, Illinois at Kansas. That's kind of Lucas and I's like third and fourth like favorite teams playing each other. Kansas already <laughs> released some some dope black uniforms for that one. Uh, we have, uh, moving to Saturday, Vanderbilt at Wake Forest, Notre Dame at NC State in the noon slate, Utah at Baylor, Nebraska at Colorado, Purdue at Virginia Tech, um, moving to the 3.30 Eastern slate, Ole Miss at Tulane, Texas A&M at Miami, um, El Asico, Iowa at <laughs> Iowa State. I forgot that's what it was called. Really incredible. Oh. <laughs> incredible. Uh, <laughs> moving into the uh, into the evening slate here, I think the big one is Texas at Alabama. That's 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Oregon at Texas Tech, 7 o'clock on Fox. Wisconsin at Washington State. That gets the ABC treatment, mm-hmm. 730 Eastern on ABC. Arizona goes to Mississippi State, 730 Eastern on the SEC Network. Um, scrolling down here into the late night window. These are the 1030 Eastern games. Stanford at USC on Fox. Auburn at Cal on ESPN. And Oklahoma State at Arizona State on FS1. So I think a lot of intriguing, like I think Texas, Alabama, which we'll get to now, uh, and Nebraska, Colorado are the most intriguing. But a lot of kind of nice secondary mm-hmm. power five on power five matchups. 
Um, but let's let let's touch on. I think the biggest game uh, of the weekend. It's Texas at Alabama. Texas is like a seven point underdog. I admittedly didn't watch a lot of Alabama Middle Tennessee. Apparently, Jalen Milrow looked pretty good. Alabama took care of business. So did Texas against Rice. Um, Lucas, what are your kind of overall thoughts on this game? What are you kind of looking forward to the most? Uh, these two teams played a really intriguing game last mm-hmm. year in Austin, a game that I think a lot of people believe if Quinn Ewers doesn't get injured in the first quarter, Texas has a really good chance to win that game. Hudson Card came in, and Bryce Young did some Bryce Young things at the end of the game. But a game that certainly lived up to the hype and kind of, I think, not announced that Texas was in the right direction, but I think kind of solidified that Steve Sarkeesian doing some good things there. Um, I think this is a big one for Sark. It's a big one for Alabama. Um, if Alabama blows the doors off of Steve Sarkeesian, I think a lot of the question marks about this season go away. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite end, if Texas goes into Alabama and beats them or maybe wins or like loses by three on a last, on a late field goal like what happened last year, I think you, people will still have some questions on Alabama. So where do you stand on this game? What are you most looking forward to? I think my thing is just with – with Alabama is just in the QB room. Like you mentioned, Jalen Monroe played majority of that game against Middle Tennessee State. Expect him to start, uh, excuse me, and start uh, most of this game against Texas. And what is he going to look like? I mean, the last time we saw him play against another Power 5 team against Texas A&M, it was, uh, you know, very conservative play calling. They, they largely just ran the ball and just tried to get out of there with the win. And on the other side, with Quinn Ears, if he's healthy for this whole game, um, do we see that that may have been the biggest difference last year um, from Texas winning that that football game? And, and like we said, just some of the question marks I've had, you know, with Alabama, especially at the wide receiver position, do they have those difference makers to kind of take the top off the defense? Because they're going to need that to to beat Texas. Because I think Texas, Despite Alabama probably having another great defense, I think Texas is going to be able to score some points in this game. And like you mentioned, the kind of the storylines is Texas for real. Um, and I think for Alabama, I think it, just for us, it's just okay. Some of these question marks that we have are they going to be legit question marks before they go into SEC play, or is this just us overthinking it with Alabama and they just had a down year last year and they have dudes everywhere on the field um, to fit those question marks. So I think that's kind of the, the the big thing for me. And I'll, I'll go into this game a little bit. Like I said, our, to preview for share our picks, um, I do have this game um, as one of my picks, um, as we'll get to yeah. later. I think the biggest thing is is Texas's wide receivers are among the best in the country, mm-hmm. right? Adani Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington. Um, that Alabama's defense, I think, is a little underrated. Even though you lose Will Anderson, like Dallas Turner's really good. Kool-Aid McKinstry will probably be a first-round pick at corner. Mm-hmm. Like that, to me, is the funnest matchup is like Alabama defense going against Texas's offense. How successful can Texas be? It's going to be an awesome atmosphere at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Biggest start of Quinn Ewers' career. And Quinn Ewers like, is just very polarizing, right? Like we could come out of this like, – again – I talk about range of outcomes, right, all the time on this pod. Like, the range of outcome for Texas is you win this game and Quinn Ewers turns into a Heisman candidate and your playoff odds go all the way up and you look great. And Steve Sarkeesian is given a contract extension. He signs it on the field, right? Um, But your other range of outcome is you score 13 points and you lose by two scores and Quinn Ewers – 
people are calling for Arch Manning on, mm-hmm. on the message boards, right? Quinn Ewers, I think, is always going to be looking over his shoulder all season uh, at Arch Manning. And Quinn Ewers is just he, – he was very inconsistent last year. There were too many games where he threw costly interceptions down the stretch. Oklahoma State is the one that kind of stands out in my mind when they lost last year in Stillwater. And can he take care of the football? And what does Texas's offense look like um, against Alabama? It's going to be fascinating. It's I think a lot of people, um, some people were like, "Why isn't game day going to Colorado, Nebraska?" I'm like, "Listen, like, with all due respect to Dion in Nebraska, like, we'll get to that next yeah. year. Like, this is the game of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, this is oh, one of the games of the year. Brand. Yes, this is the best non-conference game of the season." I mean, with all due respect to LSU Florida State last uh, last night, this is the game that everyone's been looking forward to. It's a night game at Bryant-Denny. It's going to be awesome. And, um, yeah, interested to see how Quinn Ewers and Texas does on offense. Uh, all right, let's get to Nebraska and Colorado. Colorado comes out of week one, the talk of the sport. Nebraska, typical Nebraska fashion, right? I mean, that Lucas was, does a that, deep sigh right there. That was I brutal. Mean, that was brutal to watch <laughs> It's it, it's it, this is it's it's almost going on something like do Nebraska need to have some sort of like an exorcism or demons <laughs> in the locker room? Like, do you remember in Major League like how Serrano wants to sacrifice like a live chicken before yes. their playoff game? Like for Joe Boo, it's almost, for Joe Boo, they need yeah, to get Joe Boo. It, it almost feels like they need something like that because it's now what three head coaches now, and Nebraska just cannot close games. Right. Um, Nebraska defensively looked really good. I think Minnesota's offense, the questions we had earlier in the season, I don't think were answered. Uh, Only scoring 13 points against a new Nebraska defense. But give credit to Tony White and that staff. But you score one touchdown all game and it was kind of a fluky like double pass. Mm -hmm. The ball bounced and Jeff Sims had to catch it. And um, and then, you know, you lose on a a, basically a walk off field goal. And that's what Nebraska has been like the entire Scott Frost era. It will be interesting to see how they come out and respond. Deion Sanders' first home game, again, the opposite of Nebraska. They have a huge week one win. Um, There's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of excitement. Um, Colorado on offense versus Nebraska on defense is going to be really interesting Mm -hmm. because I don't think TCU's defense is going to be very good this year. I think Nebraska's might be a little bit better. So we'll see how does Schroeder Sanders look. Right now, Colorado's a slight favorite. It's like two and a half, three points. Colorado opened, like, last week it was like plus seven. They were like seven-point underdogs. And then after the win at TCU, the kind of the the odds shifted. So interested to see, um, again, there will be a lot of excitement, a lot of hoopla. There will be a lot of Dion stuff everywhere on Saturday morning on Fox. What are you looking forward to uh, in in this one? Yeah, I think for me it's – uh, kind of is Nebraska's offense going to be any better? Because, look, yes, they struggled. But also Minnesota has had a history, especially under Joe Rossi, their defensive coordinator. I mean, that was a, a top 10 if you just go by, like, scoring defense last year for Minnesota. They routinely put on pretty good defenses. And we were talking about with, with Colorado, like, yes, that win was impressive. But, I mean, they got gashed um, defensively, especially running the football. We know that's kind of what Nebraska wants to get back to. So do you see improvement? And yeah, can Jeff Sims make plays? I mean, they really had no threat of a deep passing game at all against Minnesota to stretch the field. And, um, I think like you mentioned, kind of the hype going into this game, it's after that crazy win, it's Dion's first game. Sure, it's a sellout. Sure, there'll be also a lot of Nebraska fans. This is like a deep-hated rivalry that's kind of renewed. Um, so intrigued to see it. And like you said, with, with Nebraska, if this is a close game again, 
my God, like, do we trust them at all? I think I saw they're 2-15 in their last one-score games, which is just, uh, that's incomprehensible. And I'm excited for it. But, yeah, can they run the ball? Um, uh, can they run the ball against this Colorado front? And can Colorado stop it? I think will be the biggest thing because uh, we know that Nebraska wants to slow down the game. If they're running the football, they're going to take their time, huddle up, all of that. So if Colorado can stuff uh, stuff the run, unlike like they did against TCU, it could be a, a troublesome sign uh, of an of an 0-2 start potentially for Nebraska. Yeah, and I and I think if you're Nebraska, you have to slow the game down. I mm-hmm. think if you, uh, you, you watch the film on TCU, you're not going to have the athletes that Colorado does. It's a weird thing for me to say, but you're just not. So, like, take 35 seconds between plays, line up in the I formation, and just try to enforce your will on Colorado. Make them stop the run. Um, TCU ran the ball pretty well on Colorado last week. Um, it will be interesting to see if Colorado tries to run the ball on Nebraska or if they just let Shadur cook, and they very well might just let Shadur cook. Um, all right, let's get to our uh, another one here. This is in the 330 window. It is the NIL Bowl. It's Miami and Texas A&M. Um, <laughs> Lucas, when the schedule came out and we knew, like, this is going to be – it's not as intriguing as Texas-Alabama, and right now it's not as intriguing as Colorado-Nebraska. But this is a huge game for both teams. It's year two for Mario Cristobal. It's year, what, six for Jimbo, oh, seven yeah. for Jimbo right. there. Like, Jimbo and A&M, both teams looked really good in week one. There were no, like, you know, you know ease by FCS team or, you know, ease by a, um, a group of five team. Both looked really good. Uh, but this is this is a it's not a loser leave home match, but it's a winner feels a lot better about themselves heading into the rest of the season, and loser has a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. If A and M loses this game, you will see about twelve articles on Jimbo Fisher's buyout. You'll know how much it costs to the penny. You'll see all these things about Jimbo's failed things, and I think similar for Mario Cristobal, right? If you lose at home to Texas A and M. You'll start seeing the same thing. So I'm really intrigued by this one. Um, I think I lean Texas A&M a little bit, but I don't really have faith in either of these teams. No. So I have no idea what to do with this. No, and that's why this game is so intriguing because it's like which one of these teams actually might be competent this year. And like you said, they both kind of impressed in week one. It wasn't like A&M last year when they barely beat like UMass. Like was like a 17 to, to zero. And my thing is, like, how do these teams look on the offensive side of the ball against another Power 5 opponent? Both of them have new offensive coordinators. That was the biggest question mark going into la- or coming into this season was, how are their offenses going to look? And obviously, A&M put up 52 points, despite being New Mexico. Connor Wegman did look good. Um, in that game, can they continue? We know both of these teams have weapons at their disposal, um, and can they use them? Because last year, this game was was tough to watch um, offensively. Both teams were not particularly great. Do we see kind of maybe the opposite of effect here in Miami? And I think, honestly, I think if this is like uh, a little bit more of an offensive-driven game and it's close, I think even if whichever team loses, I think you're still feeling better potentially where you're at. But if it's maybe this slog type of game like it was last year, I think you're you're kind of going back to the drawing board. But yeah, different different standards with Alabama and Texas. We're trying to learn, are one of these two teams 
going to be a national title contender. And with A&M in Miami, we're like, one of these teams just going to be competent and improved from last year. So it's a, a much different look at uh, in regards to, to standards. Because we both know both these teams have the talent where if they look good this week, the expectations for their season jumps up drastically. Like, hey, let's get back to a bowl, seven, eight wins to you know, Miami. Could they potentially compete with Florida State and Clemson in the ACC? And with A&M, could they compete potentially with Alabama in the West? Uh, all right, I'm going to touch on quickly a few more games, and then I'll uh, I'll let you touch on a few games that you would like to, and then we'll do some picks here. Um, in the noon window, Notre Dame at NC State. Notre Dame has looked excellent mm-hmm. the first two weeks with Sam Hartman. They blew out Tennessee State at home this week. NC State looked a little uh, sluggish against UConn, 24-14. Uh, they were able to beat UConn uh, last week. Uh, not the greatest debut for Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong there in Raleigh. But kind of the first real test for Notre Dame. That's noon Eastern on ABC. Uh, Another one in the noon window I'm a little intrigued by, Purdue at Virginia Tech. Um, Again, a little bit of egg on my face. I was very high on Ryan Walters. Purdue loses to, I think, a pretty good Fresno State team at home. Uh, Fresno State, the reigning Mountain West champions. Uh, They beat Purdue week one. Purdue now goes on the road at Virginia Tech. Uh, the Hokies had a week one win over Old Dominion, 36-17. So Brent Pry looking to get off and continue a, a nice start um, for Virginia Tech. And this is a big one for Virginia mm-hmm. Tech. They go at Syracuse next week and then also host Marshall in their non-conference slate. Uh, and then I'll just quickly touch um, Iowa and Iowa State. Matt Campbell's team looked pretty good against an FCS team in week one, put up 30 points. Um Interested to see if Iowa State rebounds this year. They won four games last year, only won one game in conference. They did beat Iowa last year in Iowa City. I think it was like 10-7. to 10-9. 10-9. 10-9. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, uh, Iowa. I, f- I forgot that the what the defense must have put up a, um, a safety. Yes. Um, so, listen, I, I do like the pageantry of that game. Iowa, both fan bases are really passionate. I think this is a really good rivalry game. Um and interested to see, like, can Iowa – what, we're still on the drive to 325, right? We're, mm-hmm. We, we kind of get 25 points a game, so we'll see if Iowa can get to 25. So any game I just mentioned caught your eye or anywhere else you want to go, uh, I specifically left out Wisconsin and Washington State for you to talk <laughs> about. So any any other games in week two catching your eye? Yeah, so the, the Notre Dame at NC State is intriguing just because I think it will be the first, like, relative test for Notre Dame. Obviously, they played Navy. It looked really good. Navy, Navy, Tennessee State. I don't think either one of those teams is particularly great. Um, Obviously, uh, Sam Hartman has some uh, experience playing NC State uh, at his time at Wake Forest um, and seeing if, um, like you mentioned with with Brennan Armstrong, if they have a little bit of an improved performance because it was a little it was a little inconsistent week one. Um, Utah at Baylor, I think for kind of our overreactions that we were talking about. Utah, what is their status with Cam Rising? Is it going to matter? And with Baylor, uh, are they going to be looking 0-2 dead in the barrel um, and seeing if uh, that leads to anything uh, and if uh, seeing what the health is of Blake Shapin? Because that could that could make or break Baylor's season if he So, real quick, I actually just saw on Twitter, Dave Aranda says Blake Shapin's out two to three weeks with an <sighs> MCL injury. Okay. Two to three weeks. So he will not play this week. Okay. Well, that is that explains why I saw that um, Utah was like a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, and I don't even think they've released the status of Cam Rising yet. Um, you mentioned Purdue at Virginia Tech. 
I bet Virginia Tech over, uh, I think it was four and a half wins for them this year, four and a half or five and a half. I took the over on them. I was very pleased with how they looked against Old Dominion, a team they lost to last season. Grant Wells actually looked really good. Um, if they start, if they win this game in Blacksburg, I think it's uh, great for that, but not great for, for Ryan Walters if they start 0-2 because then they have Syracuse um, the week after this, <laughs> who they lost to a year ago as well. Um, looking at the 230 slate, Ole Miss at Tulane, I think is really intriguing. Uh, Tulane, um, both these teams won pretty, uh, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, Tulane beating off, uh, or beating up on South Alabama, which was pretty impressive by 24 points. Ole Miss, I think just crushed, I think it was Mercer, um, in week one, first real test. I just think it's exciting that Ole Miss is traveling down to New Orleans to take them on at Tulane Stadium. That should be fun. Uh, and then you mentioned it, obviously, the, the game I'm probably looking forward the most uh, at 6.30 local time uh, or 7.30 Eastern is Wazoo or Wisconsin visiting Washington State. I'm just intrigued to see what Wisconsin looks like in their second game. Like I said, a little inconsistent, especially in the passing game offensively. Uh, and Buffalo is able to, to move the ball against them in the first half. It's going to be a much bigger test. Cam Ward looked extremely good against Colorado State. I think he's finally starting to uh, kind of get things. But Washington State did not run the ball particularly well against Colorado State. I think they averaged like less than three yards to carry. Um, I think if was, uh, I'm interested to see how Wisconsin's defense uh, plays um, against those wide receivers. Um, and that offense should be a really good environment. I think it's like the first, yeah, I read somewhere, it's like the first Power 5 opponent to visit Pullman in like 20 years or something like that. I didn't believe that was. What's that? Yeah, for a non-conference. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't feel surprising. Like, I don't think a lot of teams want to make that trip. So good for Wisconsin for actually doing a legit home and home. Yeah. Um, So I think because of that, those fans will be really, really excited. And look, Washington State beat Wisconsin last year in Madison. So I definitely think that is going to be a fun one. Um, and then I also really, really like uh, late at night. I think we touched on it. you have Auburn at Cal. Um, I don't think heading into last week, neither of us had super high expectations for Cal, but they were impressive, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which has been a struggle for them under Justin Wilcox. And we don't really know a lot about Auburn. They won handily, but I think they played uh, either uh, a low tier, uh, you know, didn't play a great opponent. This is in Berkeley. They played UMass. They played UMass. Yeah, played UMass. Okay. Which, good for them. UMass crushed me uh, in week zero <laughs> for my pick of the week. So UMass deserved it. But this should be, I think this is kind of an intriguing kind of lower tier P5 because we really don't know what to expect from Auburn right now, especially in year one uh, with them. And then, obviously, uh, Oklahoma State at ASU. ASU put on a little bit better of a performance than they did against Southern Utah. And once again, with Oklahoma State, discussed vibes there. Not great, though they won handily in week one, too. You know, what, what What do they look like um, as a team? And I just love that it's going to be a great, typical, hope, I'm hoping for just a typical, like, great Pac-12 after dark uh, game in week two with Oklahoma State and ASU. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the Pac-12. Uh, we, we mentioned how good it was, 13-0 and uh, through the first week of the season with USC being 2-0. and Week two slate, we're going to find out a lot about this conference. Mm-hmm. Utah at Baylor. Colorado hosting Nebraska, Oregon at Texas Tech, Washington State hosting Wisconsin, Arizona at Mississippi State, UCLA at San Diego State, USC and Stanford 
Auburn at Cal, Oklahoma State at Arizona State. That's a really good slate for the Pac-12. We do not see this conference shine away from from, from pretty big mm-hmm. uh, non-conference matchups. Oregon and Texas Tech we haven't touched on. I'll get to that in my uh, our, our, uh, our picks here. Um, all right, let's get to our picks of the week. Just to review last week, uh, three and three for us total. I went two and one. My wins were Utah State plus 25 and a half, Penn State minus 20 and a half. Did you see that cover, by the way? Like, did you see what happened? What? It was a very late. It was garbage time. Touchdown. Wasn't Literally. It? So Penn State has the ball like the eight yard line. There's like 15 seconds left, and they're up 31 to 15. So they're covering 16. And instead of taking a knee, they ran. They like did a play. They ran. I think they ran for a touchdown with like eight seconds left and covered the spread on like oh, one of the last okay. plays of the game. Uh, if you don't think the coaches know the point spread, people. <laughs> now, then all of a sudden we get a Penn State uh, a gambling uh, investigation yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden this week. Yeah. Um, my loss was the over in North Carolina and South Carolina at 64 and a half. That uh, North Carolina defense apparently was not going to let that happen. Lucas, a one and two week for you. Your win was Nebraska plus seven at Minnesota. The losses were UTSA minus one and a half at Houston. The, uh, the Roadrunners lose by three. And then Illinois minus nine and a half against Toledo. The Illini struggling with the former MAC champions Jeez. winning by two points at home. All right, uh, let's start with our pick of the week. I will go first. I'm going to go to a well that we're both familiar with, that it's it was it's a profitable for, for both of us. Give me the under in Iowa, Iowa State. 36 and a half points. Um, I... Listen, if somebody's if both teams get in the twenties and I lose, I will take that. I will wear that. It was ten to nine last year. Iowa scored twenty four points on Utah State last week. Iowa State scored thirty on an FCS team. I think this is like a 17, 14, mm-hmm. 13, 10, 16, 13 kind of a game. So give me the under thirty six and a half in Iowa State and Iowa. I picked that one as well. So Let's I am in, I am in agreement with you. You got to. Like we said, this game was 10-9. I have no idea what Iowa State is going to look like with you know numerous guys out because of because of uh, the gambling incident that did happen. Like we mentioned, I didn't think Iowa State Iowa looked particularly impressive and could not run the ball against Utah State. I think they're going to have to tr- struggle doing that. Iowa State always puts out really good defenses, as does Iowa. I think, like you said, this is a typical. Yeah, this might be like a twenty, yeah, twenty to thirteen, you know, seventeen to ten, I think, type of game. Uh, but yeah, give me the under thirty six and a half. All right, Lucas, your lock of the week. Give it to the people. My lock of the week. So going back to a well that did not work this past week for me. I did not pick this one on the pod, but I did pick it in real life, and that was North Carolina overs. Uh, North Carolina did their did their job, but uh, South Carolina did not. But remember last year, North Carolina App State was absolutely bonkers. Um, I think that was the game like 80 points were scored like in the fourth quarter or 60 some points were scored in the fourth quarter. So I am taking the over again this year. App State UNC the over is 61 and a half. I think even if UNC's defense is legit. I still think this is maybe like a 35 to 30, or maybe it's like a 42 to 28 type like game or something like that. Um, so give me the over. I think Drake May and them looked impressive. Um, and I think just because of this game last year, I know App State doesn't have like Chase Bryce and a few other guys left, but 
I'm sticking with the UNC overs until it consistently proves me wrong. I'm not 100% sold on that defense. South Carolina was replacing, I think, like three or four starters on their offensive line from last year, um, and it clearly showed. So, yeah, give me the over for App State UNC. Uh, my lock of the week is going to be Oregon minus seven at Texas Tech. Uh, this line actually, I bet this yesterday, the line actually moved as minus six and a half now on FanDuel. Mm-hmm. But I just think Oregon's better than a touchdown against Texas Tech. And, and maybe it's a little bit of recency bias. We just saw Texas Tech lose at Wyoming in double overtime. Oregon put up 81. I just think Oregon, with its offense, we talk about it's it's got really good running backs. The receivers are good. Um, and last year in their big non-conference game, they got shelled against Georgia. This year, it's in prime time. It's on Fox. I think they're going to want to go to Lubbock and send a statement, and I, I guess I just think Oregon is more than a touchdown better than Texas Tech. So give me the Ducks on the road. I'm going to lay the seven points for my lock of the week. Nice. Um, all right, your, uh, your upset pick, my your up- underdog of the week. My upset, so a game we talked about um... – Pretty thoroughly. I am taking, I was still surprised this line was this much. I'm taking Texas plus seven on the road at Alabama. I think this is a close game like it was last year. Going to come down to the wire, I think maybe to who has the ball last. And uh, I just think, I, I there's in my mind, I just don't see, and I just don't see Alabama as more than a touchdown better right now than Texas, um, which Last year, I think this was like a 20-point spread in Austin last year. Um, So it's kind of crazy for me to be saying that. And look, Alabama could prove me wrong. I feel like every time we doubt Bama and a game like this comes up, they have one of those traditional Bama, like slobber knockers, where they just crush a team by like two or three touchdowns. So I could be wrong. But I think this is going to be a really, really close game. Battle between, um, I think, a really good quarterback and a potentially really good defense in Alabama. So give me the horns, and I will take the points, plus seven um, with Texas. I like, that. I like that. I looked at that as well. That opened at seven and a half, so it is quickly closing. So good for you to get that at seven. Uh, my my underdog of the week, my upset, is going to be Vanderbilt plus 11 and a half at Wake Forest. Um, I looked at this line yesterday. It was 12 and a half, and it's already 11 and a half, and it's, I think it's going to go down to under, um, under 10 before kickoff. Um, I watched a little bit of Wake Forest and Elon on Thursday. I wasn't super impressed with Wake. I know they were they're working in a new quarterback, right? Sam Hartman's gone. You bring in Mitch Griffs, or not bring in, but he was the quarterback for uh, Week One last year when when Hartman missed. Donovan Green, their best receiver, got hurt in preseason camp. He's going to miss a couple months. I just don't think Wake Forest is twelve points better than Vanderbilt. I know Vanderbilt looks shaky against Hawaii. I think they looked a little bit better against Alabama A and M. Um, I don't think Wake Wake doesn't have a tremendous home field advantage. Their stadium only seats like 30,000 people. Um, and I think this is a real chance for Vanderbilt to get a win. And it wouldn't surprise me if this is a one-score game. It's an early game. It's 11 a.m. Eastern on ACC Network. I have no idea why they, why they do these early games on ACC Network. But uh, I always seem to bet them. I think two years ago <laughs> I, took, I, took, I took Illinois oh, for, against Virginia, that, and that yeah. was a disaster for me. So I don't learn my lesson. But, yeah, give me Vandy plus 11.5 at Wake Forest for my upset pick of the week. I like that because I think people are betting too much on that that early season Vandy game. 
against uh we saw it with hawaii Hawaii, right yeah like we saw it like hawaii was only minus or plus four and a half against sanford and sanford beat him by 13 so i would agree with you Mm -hmm. uh any final thoughts lucas before we uh before we uh before we get out of here no actually i think uh this week's slate um especially because it's all consolidated on saturday we talked last week there are some good matchups in week one but some of the best ones were were you know thursday sunday monday night um but overall really really fun week i'm looking forward to to, to week two because I do think overall the slate's a little bit better and I think we're going to learn a lot more we thought we learned a lot from week one but usually week two um, especially some of those overreactions we we get proven why they were overreactions so really intrigued uh, to see some of these games and I'm just hoping my betting goes well because week zero and week one sucked for me so I'm hoping for a, a turnaround here coming up Week one was fine for me straight wise. I think it was four and one on straight bets. The parlays just kill me. <laughs> I did it. I I did like a heavy favorites parlay where I did some alt lines on like Ohio State and Michigan and Auburn, and I lost it on Michigan and and Ohio State. And I didn't. I did an over parlay that I lost on North Carolina, South Carolina. So I just gotta stay away from the parlays. That's how they get you, man. Give me the straight bets all day. So yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I think week two is underrated. I think there are some really intriguing power five on power five matchups. Um, maybe besides Alabama and Texas, maybe not like the big time ranked matchups, but I think plenty of intriguing, fun matchups that we'll talk about um, next week. But that's going to do it for us. Uh, for Lucas Rohde, I'm Ryan Baffle. Lucas, thank you for listening to this episode of Brian for the Roses, and we'll catch you next time.